0: Is that Hello, everyone. It's your old friend Joe here with Strange Sound. Yet another episode of Strange Sound. This is episode 39 of Strange Sound. We're going to say volume one, episode 39. This is year one, still in year one. 39 episodes. My goodness me. I've been trying to do one a week. Um, Obviously, I've missed one or two weeks through the course of time. Uh, One week in particular was due to a hospitalization that I had in April, as some of you may remember. If anyone is still listening from back in April, yes, that was a time. I did do some uh, reporting on that after that, Uh, if you can call it reporting. It's more or less just telling you what happened. Uh, So in any case, this is my uh, standard disclaimer with Strange Sound. Strange Sound represents the opinions of just me my opinions alone, no one else's, no one associated with me, not my employer, not my relatives, not my friends, not my neighbors. Um, no one else that I'm aware of shares my opinions. <laughs> Some people might share them by coincidence, certainly not by virtue of discussing it with me necessarily. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not a very influential person, I have to say, uh, which probably accounts for the reason why there's very few listeners to this podcast. Um, But, you know, for those who do listen, I am grateful for your ears and your attention. I will try not to abuse the privilege. As always, I am very happy to be here with you today. And I hope you had a very good Thanksgiving holiday. um, Or I should say Indigenous Peoples Day. Indigenous Peoples um, Feeding the Invaders Day, (laughs) which is kind of more accurately what it is. But again, before I get accused of waging a war on Thanksgiving, I just want to say that, uh, yeah, uh, my family does usually observe the traditional holiday feast we did not gather this year. Uh, We've been avoiding one another, unfortunately, because of the COVID crisis made worse by really bad leadership, particularly at the top in the form, in the rather bulbous form of Donald Trump, um, who appears to be slowly coming to the realization that he has lost the election, even though he won't say so. Uh, The 2020 election was lost by Donald Trump, for those of you still in doubt. Indeed, he did lose. And lose rather badly. Wasn't particularly close. Um, I believe the plurality or the uh, majority um, or the, you know, the margin is something like 7 million votes now, but I'm not 100% sure I would have to look at what the latest count is because votes are still coming in. in some of the larger states, uh, states that are so lopsidedly, you know, in favor of one candidate or the other um, that they just, you know, they more or less call the state and then it's, they continue to do some counting after that because ballots keep coming in. Um, absentee ballots are still stacked in a pile somewhere and they're reading them and that sort of thing. Uh, that's the sort of thing that, uh, makes Republicans want to cry fraud, but of course it's just an election and, uh, you know, they win some of them and they lose some of them. When they win them, they are happy with it. When they lose them, they complain about fraud. Um, That's that sort of thing. They, They think any vote against them is a fraud. I mean, that's what it amounts to, right? I mean, that's what Donald Trump is talking about. Any vote that's against him is a fraud. That's what he's saying. Just like, you know, uh, Barack Obama was born in Kenya, right? There's no way you can be a black president and be legitimate. There's no way you can be a black person in the United States and be legitimate in the eyes of somebody like Donald Trump. Regardless of how he feels about, I don't know, um, Dr. Ben Carson, let's say. Uh, You know, I'm sure he likes Ben Carson because Ben Carson likes him. He likes anyone who likes him. So, you know, I mean, some of those people are going to be people of color, like that guy that shows up at all of his rallies behind him, you know, blacks for Trump with a big sign, you know, that says blacks for Trump. Um, that guy, I think, is a doctor, if I remember correctly. I mean, he's he's not poor, that guy. He's got a lot of money and uh, probably got a good reason to like Trump. He cut his taxes, didn't he? A lot of people like Trump because he cut their taxes. I mentioned um, some of my old schoolmates, um, one or two of them, the, who are really rabidly pro-Trump, but not necessarily for ideological reasons or for, you know, the, the, the sort of low-hanging fruit of the Trump phenomenon, like, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment and, you know, being basically being a bigot or being a autocratic, you know, anti-democratic fool, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> no, they're more like uh, you know they sort of a uh, they sort of accrete some of those characteristics, uh, but mostly just for the sake of argument. When really what they want is the tax cuts. What they want is the pro-business stance, you know, in in defiance of every other consideration. What they want is a president who's going to go to bat for rich people, uh, which is what Donald Trump is. Not a rich person, but a president who is, I mean, he is a rich person, but a president who is going to go to bat for rich people. Even though he claims to be for our working people, I love our working people. Yeah, sure, he loves him. You know why? He makes money off of them. Right now he's making a lot of money off of, you know, um, trying to scrape up crowdfunding dollars from people by saying that he needs the money to, you know, um, overturn the results of the election. I think that's probably winding down now, but uh, better podcasts than this have uh, reported on on the phenomenon of the uh, fundraising emails that go out frantically, you know, trying to scrape up some money from the plebes, um, to help them fight the battle in court, you know, to fight the fraud, the election fraud in court. Um, they need the, they need the money, right? Uh, but if you look at the fine print on those emails, on those fundraising emails or on the giving sites, um, really, most of the money is going to the Trump leadership pack and the RNC. Um, above a certain amount, if you give more than a certain amount, the amount above that, that level will go to a legal defense fund. But if you're only giving like $100 or $200 or $500, um, all of that money is going to the Trump leadership pack. And the RNC general fund, nothing to the legal defense fund or the litigation fund, um, to save us from this terrible fraud that's been perpetrated on us in the 2020 election. Yes, this terrible fraud. All these people voted. It's a terrible fraud. Um, yeah, so they're stuffing their pockets. They're stuffing their pockets by, you know, calling out the alarms. And this is, you know, I don't want to make this sound like it's uniquely, you know, grifty, particularly since Citizens United. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of this business, you know, of scaring people into giving money. But this is particularly I I find it particularly odious Just because Trump is on his way out of office and the last thing he's going to do is go around and try to gin people up into like giving him money. And he's literally going to be stuffing this money into his pocket. Because the Trump leadership pack doesn't have any limits on how much they can take out of it. If they raise millions and millions of dollars through that pack, they can just pocket that money. That's all there is. There's, There's no restrictions on that as far as I'm aware. They can pay themselves a salary. All of the Trumps. So, you know, there's one born every minute, right? And nobody knows it like Trump. He's bamboozling people right out the fucking door. Anyway, he will be missed. But is that what I was going to talk about today? Well, not really. I wasn't going to just concentrate on that today. I spent about 10 minutes on it. What was I going to talk about today? Well, let me tell you. Actually, um, I do want to spare a word for folks who are facing down this COVID crisis and the, uh, attendant economic crisis that is going to be hitting people even more in the coming weeks. Uh, I believe a lot of people are going to be kicked off of their unemployment insurance on the day after Christmas, I believe. I think that's how it's going to work. Um. There's going to be a a lot of evictions. There's absolutely no aid in sight. And I want to remind you all, once again, to contact your member of Congress, to contact your senators, um, to contact other members of Congress, to contact the leadership on both sides of the aisle, and to tell them that they need to act now so that people will have the resources they need to weather this storm because this is a storm. This is a difficult time for American families and American individuals. I want to just single out families. Families and individuals. And if they're going to get through it, it's going to be because they've had help from the government. If they're going to get through it, and if we're going to get past this COVID thing, if people are going to try to shelter in place a bit more and try to be a little bit more sedentary and, and sit it out and try to do a timeout on the, on, on the COVID virus, if we're going to do that, in anticipation of some kind of vaccine campaign, um, we need to spend some money on people. We need to float people some money. We need to help people. And we need to do it now. I'm not talking about me. People like me, I don't need it. Yeah, I took a big financial hit like a lot of people this year. It's been a rough year. But I would rather see them take the money and give it to people who really need it. Frontline workers, food service workers, wait staff, people whose jobs are being directly affected by this crisis right now. People who can't work because of it or shouldn't work because of it. Those are the people we need to help. Now, if the only way to do that is to give everybody a check, okay, fine. I wish we lived in the kind of a country where, you know, people could understand that, you know, okay, look, I don't need a $1,200 check. Give it to somebody who needs it. Give it to somebody who needs it. Take that money. If you're worried about the the amount of money that you have to spend, just take the money and give it to people who fucking need it. That's the way I felt about it earlier in the year. And I'm sure somebody will say, well, you should have just given him $1,200 to somebody else. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If the only way they can get it through is to give it to everybody, fine. And, you know, there's there's ways you can pick it up on the other end if if your tax policy is, is solid enough, you know. It ends up really only going to the people who need it the most if you're smart enough about it. But in all honesty, um, we need to do something for people so that they can get through this crisis without having to go out and work on the front lines and end up spreading this virus, contracting it themselves, bringing it home to their families. I mean, God knows we're going to see enough of a spike after Thanksgiving here. In a couple of weeks, you're going to see these numbers go right through the frickin' roof. And it's going to be just in time for everyone's unemployment insurance to fucking run out and it's just ridiculous that they're not they're not acting on this i mean trump doesn't give a shit he's he's tuned out entirely he doesn't care all he cares about is is his uh his conspiracy theory and sort of building a culture of grievance around that you know maybe parlaying that into some kind of own network deal or something in any case Work on your representatives, work on your senators. Tell people we need to do something to help Americans now. That's all I'll say about that. Now what I wanted to talk about this time, episode thirty-nine. Episode thirty-nine, well, it's Jack Benny's age. I'm thirty-nine. Um Episode thirty-nine, let's uh let's talk about uh, Congress. Right? So I've told folks in previous episodes that I live in the 22nd Congressional District in the state of New York. That's upstate New York. It's a big kind of sprawling district. It reaches down, I think, down pretty close to Binghamton, way up north um, into the Adirondacks and includes the city of Utica and some of the surrounding areas. Um, it's it's a big, sprawling, mostly rural district, and I mentioned last time that the uh, representative for this district, Anthony Brindisi, was in a race uh, defending his seat. He's a first-term congressman. Um, he's defending his seat from the person he won it from last time, uh, Claudia Tenney, who's Running on the Republican side, attempting to take the seat back. Um, I may have mentioned last time that uh, Brindisi, who's a centrist, um, he's part of the Problem Solvers com- Conference in the House. Um, he, you know, won election two years ago, uh, saying that he wasn't going to vote for Pelosi and all this stuff. You <laughs> know, all the usual kind of problem solver stuff. Um, uh, very, very centrist. And, you know, I, I may have mentioned that he ran an ad that had uh, Donald Trump in it signing one of his bills because it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of a Republican leaning district. I mean, there's, we have a history of, we have a history of, uh, Republican Congress people. It's a R plus six, R plus six district according to the Cook Political Report. And, you know, it went for Trump in 2016, uh, 54, to uh, I think Clinton got something like 39 or 40. And uh, it was kind of more more evenly divided divided in 2012. Uh, but it's an R plus six district. And uh, Anthony Brindisi won it in 2018 in a squeaker. Um, it was very close. They were counting absentee ballots. But I think he ended up winning by a few thousand votes. That was a wave election. So uh, he, he was able to kind of bury Claudia. Claudia Tenney, who I've mentioned numerous times, is a former... High school classmate of mine, um, back in the day, back when the sky was black with flocks of hooting pterodactyls, yeah, she's uh, she was a couple years behind me actually. I'm older than her, and uh, she uh, she won election in 2016. She was very right for. I don't mean correct. I mean, she was kind of right-wing for this district. I probably mentioned before, we've we've often had kind of centrist Republicans representing this district. And the district that represents Utica and surrounding areas has changed over the years. Every time there's a reapportionment, it, just, it seems like it changes its number. Uh, we started out as the 23rd district, in my memory, anyway. Uh, went to the 24th, and now it's the 22nd. You know, as... <laughs> As New York loses congressional districts every every 10 years um our number seems to get lower. <laughs> uh so anyway, we're the 22nd for the time being and uh this year similar to a lot of the rest of the country the uh, election day count was very much in uh, the Republicans' favor. Like, Claudia Tenney had a 28,000-vote lead uh, on Election Day. And I saw that, and I thought, oh, well, you know, Brindisi's cooked. That's it. Um, But there were a lot of absentee ballots. Apparently, a lot of the Democrats in this district voted absentee, and those ballots were all stacked up, and they've been counting them ever since... And it cut her lead back and back and back. I went through this a little bit last time. But uh, I don't know that I mentioned that <laughs> as of this past week, um, and I, I sort of retweeted this, there was a Syracuse.com story on this. It's kind of hard to find reporting on uh, on this district, but it is one of the closest races in the country. I mean, it's probably the closest race in the country. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And I think I posted this since since our last episode, so I don't think I mentioned. Uh, Brindisi pulled ahead this week. According to the Brindisi campaign, Claudia Tenney had been leading by a couple of hundred votes in recent counts. So they had cut her lead down from 28,000 votes to about two or three hundred which is remarkable enough in and of itself. But now, according to this, with the various um, affidavits and absentee ballots being counted, Brindisi is ahead by, get this, Brindisi is ahead by 12 or 13 votes. Not 12 or 1300 votes. 12 or 13 count votes. That's how close this election is. That's how close it is. It's remarkable. This is out of 300,000 votes. Something like that in, in this district. 300,000 votes. And it, it's down to less, it's down to a difference of less than 20 votes. I mean, about a dozen votes separate the two. Right down the freaking middle. In a plus six Republican district. Supposedly, according to the Cook political report. I mean, <laughs> you can't make this up. It still isn't settled. And I don't know whether his twelve vote lead is gonna gonna hold or, or or what's gonna happen. What's what the certified result is gonna be, but it is literally a tie. It's it's an election that if every member of my family voted the other way claudia would be in the lead and i don't have a very big family my family is a is a shrinking party just my siblings and i and a niece and a couple of cousins and i'm not even counting the cousins <laughs> i mean there's about like you know maybe 10 of us including spouses And we're all Democrats. I mean, we're all registered Democrats. But my goodness me, this is close. And of course, uh, Anthony is the incumbent. You know, so one would hope that Anthony is about as close to what a Congressperson, where a Congressperson typically um, sits in this district, as anyone I've ever known. He's more similar to prior Congress members from this district, than, than certainly than Claudia is. Claudia Tenney is, is a right-wing Trumpist Republican, anti-choice um, against the Affordable Care Act. Uh, she's, she's just right-wing all the way. I was spawned in the same ocean as she was. (laughs) I went to the same high school she went to. I probably went to a very similar grade school as her. Uh, I do remember, you know, I was friends with her. I was, you know, school friends or schoolmates with her brother. Uh, So I, you know, I know where she grew up. I know what the mindset was. And it's a racist place. It's a right-wing place. There are exceptions. I'm not going to say it's 100% any one way or the other, but trust me, I know where she's coming from, and and she is a right-wing individual. Take it or leave it. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's... I'm not necessarily putting a value judgment on that. I'm just saying that's where she's coming from, and she is to the right of this district, generally speaking. Brindisi... As a Democrat, a centrist Democrat, a right-leaning Democrat is probably about where this district sits. Pro-choice, concerned about the environment, but not not left-wing, you know, and, and not for, you know, big government solutions, right? That's where our congresspeople have been over the years. So this is really that vision of... You know, congressional representation for this district facing off against a resurgent right wing, Republicanism, of a type that we've, at least not in my lifetime, that we've ever had. Well, I won't say ever. You know, maybe maybe earlier than I remember. Uh, I can remember back a, a number of Congress members. Um but probably the dominant representation that we had over over the last 50 years was Sherry Bowler, and he was a centrist Republican. And uh, Richard Hanna was almost exactly like him. Michael R. Curie, who served for four years, is a lot like Brindisi. So it's a question of whether, whether Brindisi is going to win or not. I don't know. I mean, in this district, again, R plus six, right? So is he... <laughs> is there an ideological point that can be made here? Um, he's a centrist. He's If, if he wins, it's going to be almost like an upset. Would it have been easier for him to win if he had, you know, supported different types of policies? I can't say that. I can't say that for sure in this district. There's really just no way to, there's no way to be certain. No I guess my only point with respect to that is it's not necessarily an ideological argument. I know a lot of centrist Democrats are trying to say, you know the reason why a lot of Democrats lost is because of this because of the extreme left wing views of some of the members of the democratic caucus and blah 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 well no nah. Necessarily, not necessarily. Okay, not necessarily. So, I'm looking at a, a post that I shared a couple of couple of days ago, and it's it shows a list of uh, democratic um democratic Congress members, some of whom won, some of whom lost this this uh, in, in 2020. Okay, so we've got Abby Finkenauer in Iowa's 1st District, a a D plus D-plus-1 district, Democratic-leaning district. Uh, now, this chart um, has a column for whether or not these people supported Medicare for All, just as a signal sort of left-wing policy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you. I don't know if I would be as reductionist as this, but just as an illustration of what I'm what I'm talking about here, Abby Finkenauer did not support Medicare for all. She did not win re-election in a D plus one. Um, Debbie Murcasel Marques- Powell in Florida's 29th, She was in a D plus six district. Uh, kind of a strong Democratic-leaning district. She did not support Medicare for All. She was not not reelected. She was first elected in 2018. She was not reelected. Donna Shalala, Florida's 27th. She's in a D plus five district in Florida. She did not support Medicare for All. She was not reelected in 2020. Okay, but then look at Katie Porter, right? Katie Porter supported, supports Medicare for All. She won re-election in an R plus three district in California. And she was elected in 2018 in a squeaker. I think she did actually fairly well this time around. Compare that with Max Rose in New York's 11th district. He did not support Medicare for All. He was in an R plus three, he won in 2018, and he did not win re-election. I mean, there's no hard and fast rule here, but what this chart shows is that that position did not hurt people's chances for re-election, at least in in this sort of cherry-picked group of examples. And I admit that this is probably (laughs) cherry-picked. A lot of these are R plus one, R plus two, some of them, you know, R plus three districts. Um, these are Republican leaning districts, and they still won, even though they supported Medicare for All. But there's another thing at work here. And I think Katie Porter is a really good example of this. I don't know that Katie Porter won her reelection based on her ideological positions. But Katie Porter has been very out front and combative in representing the interests of her of her constituents, and more broadly representing the interests of American, of the American consumer, American families, American people, more generally. She comes to her hearings very well researched. She grills people in a very smart. An understandable and comprehensible way. She roasts them in a very smart way. And she's a fighter. She gets up there and she fights. I don't care what your ideological bent is in a place like her California district, which is, again, R plus three. I don't care what your ideological bent is. If you look at Katie Porter and you are honest with yourself, you're going to tell your, you're, you're going to notice that she's fighting for you. She's getting up there and she's fighting for you. She's fighting for your interests. She's calling out people's hypocrisy. She's been very out front with this sort of thing. Coming into this election, I really wasn't sure that she would win re-election. Because it's a hard district for a Democrat to win. But she won. And there may be a lot of reasons for that. But I think... <laughs> I don't think we want to discount... I mean, just setting ideology aside. And I, I gave those examples earlier just to, just to demonstrate that it's not all... The data doesn't all go one way, right? I mean, there's been plenty of, plenty of talk about how, you know, um, Black Lives Matter hurt Democrats, hurt centrist Democrats up and down the line. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? What are you going to do? Tell people not to protest? Fuck that. People are getting shot down in the street. I'm not going to tell people to stand down. No way. But let's just, I mean, the, the reason why I'm, I was quoting those figures earlier is just to show that there's evidence that goes in the opposite direction. As far as ideology is concerned, it just depends on what you're looking at. But I think the thing that gets left out of the conversation is the fact that when you're out front and you do your homework and you're dedicated to representing the interests of your of your constituents, outspokenly like Katie Porter is, chances are good that you're going to win your re-election. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I'd be happy to be represented by somebody like Katie Porter. <laughs> I think it's possible that she'd do really well in this district, but I don't know. Hard to say. This is an R plus six. But she's unapologetic. And she, she's fighting corruption. And there's plenty of evidence of that. It's all over YouTube. She is one of the more outspoken members of Congress and one of the smartest ones. She's very, she's very plain spoken. You know, she's not, she's not glossy, right? But she's also not like a a tinfoil hat type. She's very smart. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that's the untold story here. I think, you know, constituents want someone who's going to fight for them and represent them. In this district, I don't know what that means. Does Brindisi fight for us, represent us? Well, maybe not like Katie Porter does. But I think he pays more attention to it than like a Claudia Tenney did. I won't go into detail, but Claudia Tenney has done some pretty toxic things. Did some pretty toxic things when she was Congress member, in my opinion. I think Bredese has tried to reach out a bit more to his constituents. They all do the same sorts of things. They meet with the farmers. They meet with the business people. They meet with different core constituencies around here. Sure, they do. And I'm not trying to say that he's got a strong advantage in this. In fact, you know, what's the advantage? By any measure, the electorate in this district was cut in half over this race. 50-50. 13 votes separate those two candidates. What the hell does that tell you? It's a divided district. I think there are opportunities for Democrats to do better in this district. I just think it involves organizing. And it involves the hard work of, you know, getting people organized and having good candidates. We got a lot of work ahead of us, my friends. There's no question. And again, uh, while I think it's really important for us to Push our Congress people and our senators our our House members and our senators to to help the needy and to help working families, working people get through this crisis. I think we also have to keep our eye on on uh, other important issues as well. That's probably the most immediate one though. and I would also encourage you to uh, in whatever way you can, Um, help the Democratic candidates win in Georgia in the two Senate races in the special elections, rather the runoffs, I should say. They're not both specials. One is a special election, but they're both runoffs. Just do whatever you can. In any case, uh, that's all I have to say this week. I'd like to hear what you have to say. (laughs) I sound like some kind of parrot when I say that. I feel like I'd like to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I always say that. And I never hear from you. Send me a message. Just visit my site at anchor.fm slash strange sound. You can leave a one minute voicemail. You can also find me on Twitter at strange sound pod. If you go to big-green.net and follow the podcast and uh, blog tab, you will find links to um, our various podcasts, including ones that are much sillier than this one. Um, And there are different ways that you can get in contact with me. Uh, Be glad to hear from you. Be glad to turn this into a conversation. As I've said many times... Uh, Once again, I am going to uh, continue to do this show for a while longer. Um, I can't say how long, but we will see. And uh, let's turn this into a conversation if we can. Um, I hope you had a good holiday. I hope you have a good holiday season ahead. I should be talking to you very soon. Take good care out there. Be safe. Stay well.